Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and welcome to We Weren't Friends in High School, the podcast where I normally talk to high school classmates from the graduating class of Wazagan High School in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I am still Brad Corbett, but today is an extra credit episode. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at We Weren't Friends in High School, also at youtube.com slash redshirtplaya. My guest is my senior year high school English teacher and many people's English teacher from different years. Miss Faith McCracken. I've talked about Miss McCracken a few times, most recently in my episode with Zach Rowe. I know Sean McAmin mentioned her as one of his favorite teachers, so I was determined to find her. She was actually hiding in plain sight right on LinkedIn. I reached out and explained to her what this podcast was, and she was ecstatic. Leading up to this, I was super nervous. I mentioned it in the start of this, but sending emails to your former English teacher makes you really dissect your grammar your punctuation, your comma splices. So let's get into this extra credit episode. Here's my conversation with English teacher, Miss McCracken. Hi. Hi. <laughs> nice to see you. It's nice to see you. I don't get nervous to like talk to everybody that I talk to, but like I'm like sitting here like I'm kind of nervous. Get it out. Yeah, and it's and it's it's a little nerve wracking to like send messages back and forth with like your former English teacher. I'm like painstakingly just going over every comma and. You are so, I'm not, I'm not grading you on this. And clearly you've done very well. So proud that way. Congratulations to you and for your Mahi, for your work. And, and you've got the language down. You know, that's part of what you're doing. So you're, I'm not going to correct you or grade you. So <laughs> I just, I just want to like put out a good impression because, you know, once, once you were like, Oh, like, yeah, this is great. What you're doing. It's like, Oh, I better make sure that I look like I look like I'm doing it properly here with my writing. Uh, and <laughs> No, I think honestly, Brad, I'm really proud of you. And, and um, you know, I don't, I don't know much about this world that you're in, but I know it's quite, there's a lot of competition and, and, and a lot of people don't, don't make it. But the fact that you're on two years is amazing. And it sounds as if you have a nice, like you're really clear about your, your market, who it is, who your audience, and that's really helpful. So you've got that down. I mean, that's what it is. That's what writing is. Who's your well, audience? What's your purpose? You know? Benefit and, of, of talking to you about this after two years is that you learn along the way. And I, maybe it. a year and a half, I might not have been able to have been as, as clear to you about <laughs> what, what this uh, is. Good on you. I mean, that's good for you. And that's, you know, that's, that's great. So, and it must be it must be fun for you. I mean, I love the, the title of your show. You know, we were friends in high school because it's you look back and you think, why were we friends? Like it's just silly, you know. And having you know for a long time lived in that teaching world, it, you just see it. You just like, oh my gosh! But you, you have to let people figure it out. But it's really lovely that you've been. It sounds. I mean, I don't listen to a lot of what you've done, but it sounds as if you tried to reach a range of people and not just stick with the kid, people you knew. You know, which is really lovely that you're giving a voice to people who are just like people trying to get through life, you know? That was a huge part of, of when I was trying to conceive what this could, what this would be. I didn't want it to be me and the people that I knew really well, the people that I do consider friends. I thought that was kind of boring to the outside world of inside jokes and just first names and remember this guy and that guy. And that, that is some of the show it's from time to time. And, and I think the people that know, know, but I think there's so many more opportunities, broader opportunities and higher level level of conversation to reach with people that you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and I mean, there's value in that reminiscing, you know, having lived in New Zealand 15 years now, I live in a strange window. I don't have history with anyone beyond 15 years. So there are, I don't get to do that sort of reminiscing. I'm not going to run into someone I know from way back. And there's some value in that to recognizing where you've come from and who, who total, who supported you. I'm sorry, I'm going to switch it to the Te Māori every now and then. Um, but, uh, but yeah, who supported you through that journey? And there's some there's some merit in that. And but it's great that you're aware of the need to let you know let people tell their own story and to acknowledge, hey, I didn't really know you, but let's get to know you now. You know? Yeah. It's great. That's a good. I mean, it's a good. It's, it's yeah. You're a good role model for me that way to think about that as, as you carry on in life. Um, when did you come into Wizzahickon? Ah. Uh, that's a good question. I think it was 1993 or 94, somewhere around there. Okay. So that would have been about probably about four years before I actually uh, started in the high school. I came okay. in in uh, 97 as a freshman. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you must've just had a big, a big reunion year. Well, we would have, we would uh, have, except uh, we are, yeah, our 20 would have been, um, would have been right now. Um, or, or I guess, you know, our 20 year would have been in May, this past May. So can you, I'm sorry, can I please sidebar? What, what's difficult about the travel? Is, are there restrictions about going? So in New Zealand, it's very, you can't. So right now, Auckland is in like full lockdown. So they can't leave the city. Is it like that? You can't go to other states? No, but uh, in the beginning of the year, so when they would have, I think when they would have needed to put the word out, like, hey, we're going to be doing a, a a 20 year reunion, which we would have had to start doing that in 2020 to really get people because there's so many people that just don't live in the, in the state, you know, that live all over. Um, and so in 2020, they don't really know how to, you know, no one really knew travel, travel was difficult then. Um, a lot of, yeah, in the United States, travel was difficult in 2020. Um, and there were a lot of state, state to state restrictions, depending on what the levels of COVID were. Uh, depending on where you were. And so like, for instance, New, New Jersey may have a state ban on everything south of Maryland. You okay. know, if you're coming from, okay. if you're in Florida, you're not allowed to come into New Jersey. Uh, Ohio doesn't want people from West Virginia coming into Ohio. Things like that were going on um, it, during 2020, especially. And then I think people just not feeling safe. There's a lot of, uh, I don't know how in tune you are with American politics, but there's a lot of uh, split uh, feelings about um, whether or not it's safe to travel, what precautions you need to take, or whether you just need to kind of avoid that altogether for the time mm. being. And so a lot mm. of people just don't feel safe traveling in the United States, regardless of what mandates may or may not be in place. And others are have never stopped traveling, have been traveling the entire time, um, mm. and are just kind of moving forward either by need or by want. Yeah. Yeah. What's the vaccination rate in Pennsylvania? Is it pretty good? Uh, I think it's going up. Yeah, I think uh, we're we're above the country average. So I think we're above 70 percent at this point. Good on you. I mean, that's key, I think. And we've been, you know, part of this. I, I know the world thought it was hysteria when we got this one case of Delta and went into lockdown again. But our vaccination rate is very low. I mean, it was at that time like less than 30 percent. And I don't know. They've upped it, but it some of it is... We're, you know, we're an isolated country. We can shut the borders. We're not a transit for other travel. Um, but that meant that that we sometimes 
vaccine was diverted. So for example, Fiji had a really bad breakout and we just shipped them some of, I mean, not me personally, but New Zealand shipped their doses, which is good, but it, it, it caught, I think they were a bit too, everything's fine, it's not gonna get in here. And once they opened up the travel bubble with Australia, so that they, you know people could travel back and forth without any kind of restrictions. Um, that's what it, it came in. It came in from Australia. It came in from mm. the Delta. The Delta variant came in, and that's I think that's what also frightened the government in particular. Yeah, because <laughs> it just has its own way of doing things, and and the fact that now children have a number of children have gotten it, and I don't yeah. think that was the case with the other variant, you know, COVID. Right. So yeah, yeah. we're we're very much a toothpaste out of the tube. Um, you know, they've, they, they allowed indoor dining again, uh, over the summer. Um, and so businesses have, have reconverted back to somewhat of a normal, um, of a normal service, uh, outdoor dining is still a thing here, but, um, you know, a lot of places they've released the mask mandate. Now some places are trying to reinstitute it. Philadelphia has reinstituted it but there's some places that are just playing hard to get. And um, mm. it's right. kind of at that point where I think it's going to be kind of like, you know, global warming. You've got right. a right. lot of people that, Hey, global warming is real. We need to work on recycling. We need to work on new forms of energy. We need to work on emissions. Uh, and then there's going to be a, a large, a, a loud minority that will never ever buy in. will never ever yeah. be into, you know, adapting life as they knew it. Um, and I think that we're going to have that, you know, maybe 60, 40 split for the rest of our lives. It's very insightful that adapting, you know, that adapting thing, it's uh, that your comment there. And it's also, it, reminds, it makes me think that, you know, in our lifetime, in my lifetime, anyway, there's not really been a global, like I think about my parents and what they went to wars, depressions, you know, all kinds of things. That's a, that's a president, you know, JFK. Right. And we haven't, I mean, I know that that 9 11 affected America, but I don't think there's been a pandemic worldwide or some kind of event worldwide where it's been a uniting kind of feature with everyone. And you're right, some some countries have adapted, some haven't, and some people have adapted to that. And, and even within my own family, side, that there are some anti vaxxers, which is difficult. It's hard to engage because it's just, it's there. It's just sitting there and it's, it's worrisome. And yet you have to respect their right. And New Zealand is very different. They're just like, here's the deal. You know, this is what you're going to do. And they call it this team of 5 million and everybody gets on board and, and they're a bit more because it is an island country. And it, they call it two degrees of separation. Everyone knows everyone. They live in each other's pockets. You kind of, you feel more, you know, uber politeness and, and pressure to go along. Yeah. Which can be good, but it can also be frustrating sometimes <laughs> that there's not this. Yeah. They don't really say what they are thinking sometimes. And you, you, you know, you sense it, but you can sort of have conversations with them. That sounds like high school. <laughs> it's funny. It's so funny that you said that because it really is. And in particular, living in Wellington, which is the capital, it's very much like, who do you know? And I mean, they, they will ask you these questions and I recognize them. They're trying to find out who we know in common. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't fuck up what they call it. I can't go back as far as you can to find some common ancestors, you know? So it's funny that you send up. Yeah. yeah. Did you, uh, was Wizik in your first teaching school? 
I I had lived in a I had done a bit of work in the Poconos. I lived up in Mount Pocono, um, kind of dentist that area. And then I taught Polina not Upper Dublin for I got a short term contract mm-hmm. there. And then Sahigan was the first longest one. Where were you from? Longest. Where are you from originally? I grew up I actually went to Sahigan, believe it or not. And really? I, yeah. And when I when I was working there, there were some other I can't remember now who it was, but there were a few other teachers who had gone there and gone, you know, gone through. And, um, and then one that I taught, Anthony Gabriel, remember? I don't know if you knew him, or Liz Gabriel, or Sarah. They, he, he ended up teaching there, so it's just this funny thing. But, wow. Um, yeah, I was living in the Poconos, and um, there were some family things, and I came back to the area and just, you know, fell into a job there. Yeah, it was, quite, it, it was the, I think the hardest part was... <laughs> You know, like my coworkers, my colleagues were saying, call me by my first name, but I didn't know the first name. You know, I knew them as whatever, Mr. Smith or Mr. Jones. It's funny. Um, yeah, that is so funny because now we're we're the you know in interviewing people now, it's a lot of kids, a lot of <laughs> former students. Their kids are in the system now, and they're like, oh, it's so funny now. You know, with my kid, I've moved back to the area, and and I have yet to talk to anyone that is. Uh, teaching back in Wissahickon, but I know that there are a few, or at least in the area. Um, oh so I'm I'm looking to to get back to them. That's pretty funny. Are you then teaching with with teachers that you had growing up? I I was. Yeah. Um, like, did you have like a Mr. Russo? That's the one I can like think oh of. Oh my gosh, like, I remember him. Yes, he he. I think he retired not long after I came on board. I didn't know. I mean, he was a science teacher, as I recall. Yeah, he. Re- I, I think he retired. I had him in tenth grade, and I think he may have retired after that, which yeah. would have been like ninety eight. Yeah, I. He. I remember him, and who else? I think the ones that were most intimidating were. Um, she would not have been there when you were there. Doctor Falkenston, who taught English, and she was legendary, and you know she was quite formidable and had a presence. So it was, it was just awkward. Like, it's like you, not wanting to write me an email. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, here she is. Um, but yeah, and, and I guess it was also strange then you form these friendships with them. You know, you, you knew them and, and sometimes you think, oh my gosh, I knew you when I was a teenager, you know? But, were yeah. you, were you always on track to do English like growing up in, and college? And was that always what you thought you wanted to do or were going to do? Well, that's a great question. I actually wanted to be uh, a news anchor. I wanted to work for, uh, I, I did, I did an internship at a, at a small um, television station. And I, I just saw the, I just wasn't strong. Like I didn't have enough grit to put up with the competition. You had to really like, I just saw what people were willing to do to get ahead and it wasn't mm-hmm. me. And um, and I, I thought about journalism as well, doing some writing and I, I sort of drifted around. I wasn't, you know, I kind of finished school. I was an English major at a, at a liberal arts school and did a lot of writing. And I loved that. And I, my father had always said to me, you should be a teacher. And of course, you don't listen to your parents, you know. Oh, and then I remember living in the Poconos and I remember calling my dad saying, I'm going back to school to become a teacher. And he said, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yes. And I, I loved teaching writing. I mean, I loved that. And I still love teaching that. And unfortunately, in New Zealand, it's their English program is very literature-based. They don't learn formal grammar. They don't do, as, you know, we're taking a pretty robust writing program mm. and across the board. And 
there's just, it, it, I felt as if you needed to be kind of an English lit major kind of, or like English like that to, to enjoy it. Students did not like, you know, they, there was a real, they were anti, yeah, it was, a real, it was a real battle. And I just tried to do a lot of, I made them do a lot of writing. But, well, you know, I work it in and, and some of them, I think, took it on board, but it's, they're so conscious of what everyone else is doing. How come we're not doing what the other places are doing? They're very, very conscious of that. And so I, I had a lot of fun getting them to buy in sometimes. Now, I had you my senior year. Did you teach other grades besides uh, seniors? Did you bounce around before I got you or? Yeah, that's a good question. I taught, uh, ten, I taught year, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. Okay. I never taught ninth grade, which was my choice, kind of. I was not, I didn't, I, you know, I just didn't. I just, what was, <laughs> what was like, wrong with the 14 year old? Well, I didn't, I didn't like, it was early American lit. It was so boring. Do you remember uh, that? It was so, uh, I don't remember it. I know, a, see, assigned reading was always really, really tough for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I've even got like a, I, I remember having Mr. Curcio in 11th grade and we were supposed to read. Yeah. We were supposed to read. Um, uh, I want to say like grapes of wrath, uh, something like that. Uh, or it might've been catcher on the rye and I did not read it. And he made me, or he allowed me to write a 20 page report on anything that I wanted. And when you're, you know, six, 16, 17, 20 pages <laughs> is a lot. You're like, yeah, you're like, I'm going to have to do this all night long and type really fast um, on anything that I wanted to get the grade. And I did. I wrote it on pro wrestling. Um, <gasps> but but that was like, that's the, the feats I would go to to avoid assigned reading. And are you a reader now? Are you? I like uh, I've fallen more into historical and bio and biographical. Um, I don't I'm I've never really dove deep into fiction. So it's I mean, it's funny because people always say I don't read. And then I say I'm reading all the time. I'm thinking you do read. And so I feel like some of my, you know, my mistakes as a teacher were not you feel like you have to read what has been assigned to you. But there's reading is more than that. And I'm glad you found what you like and that you you read. It is it's truly it's, it's, you know, it's so good for your brain development, your, your thinking processes. And it's, it's, I think often we made, I made people feel like they weren't reading the right things. And really, I love, yeah, yeah. I think we, you know, because we get so stuck in our sort of, here's what you have to read now. That's, um, that's, you know, I feel like that's like how school goes, right? No one generally probably like 80% of people don't want to do anything that they're doing. Right. You hope, <laughs> you just hope, you just hope they comprehend. You just have to come out the other side still breathing. That's, you know, just, just, just get there. Yeah. Funny. Um, uh, the I, other, the other chat, the other challenge in New Zealand is their school system. It actually starts with essentially eighth grade. So they, it's, they call it year one to year 13. It gets a bit confusing, but it starts with like eighth grade, which is middle school. And so I got to tell you, when I, so they're year nine in New Zealand. And when I started teaching them, I'm like, what is wrong with them? Like, they're, they're, always, they're always telling on each other. And they're always coming <laughs> near me. They were, they're coming near me. I'm like, why are you coming near me? Like, just go away. Like, they're just kids. And they were like, the boys were like, boys trapped in men's bodies. They were all awkward. And the girls were just, you know, off the wall. So my hat's off to middle school teachers. That is not, that is yeah. an art form and a, and a calling. And I was, 
I was not ready for that or equipped for that. So it can't be that. I mean, it couldn't have been that easy for 10, 11, 12 grade, right? You had to have dealt with so many, like you every year you've got to have like a good handful of personalities when you were here that were like, oh boy, this is this is a situation that's that's ongoing or these are these are kids I know every period like are real. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I feel like that's not the immaturity level or the just internal struggle that kids are going with. I feel like spills out at every grade, right? Yeah, it does. I love that. But I mean, at least I kind of understood the other where they were developmentally. But those uh, eighth graders, I was like, what's going on? I mean, I remember being an eighth grader, but it was like <laughs> I never interacted with them on a human level. <laughs> so as an adult, I was like, what is going on? Yeah. Um, can you think back to like maybe your approach to to teaching uh, at Wizahickon as far as I don't know, you know, I I remember Sean Mackaman, uh, when I talked to him, he mentioned you specifically as as someone that stood out just by the way that you dealt uh, with him as a, you know, what we're, we're kids. And uh, the thing mm-hmm. I think that resonates with a lot of us when we think back are teachers that dealt with us a little bit more adultly. Um, mm-hmm. And not so much, and I think especially like with like the telling and report sending you to the office, but able to have conversations that kind of strike out in your head of like, oh yeah, like okay, that thanks for handling it that way. Mm. Was that something that is that something that was conscious to you then, or just uh, did you have an approach to how you wanted to not just teach but deal with students that you're seeing you know every day or every few days for forty five minutes every block. Mm. Um, that's a great question, Brad. Thank you for asking that. I I really felt and still feel like kids don't care what you know until they know you care. I mean, I think it's the same about people. But uh, and so my I really recognize that there need that needed to be um we you know there needed to be some kind of collaboration, connection, team building. I don't know what you want to call it, but it and that and that I was let's say there's a class of twenty seven people. I was one twenty eighth of the class, so I really. My approach was really to make sure that, and I, and I wasn't great at it. There were, certainly were people I probably overlooked who could have done better, but just to try to, you know, for, for whatever the 45 minutes or 50 minutes it was that we had together, you, you have to try to get along with these people. And and that in life, you're going to meet people who are different from you, have different thoughts, maybe you don't really, I don't know, want to hang out with them, but you've got to find a way to, to interact with them. And that, and that, you need to recognize that each person is bringing something that could impact your life or make you think in a different way or help you grow. Um, and I also, I don't know if you would, would have been aware of the student assistance program, which was a, a, a training that teachers undertook and then a group of teachers and guidance counselors and um, administrators, principals sat on a team that worked with at-risk kids. So what we did was just gathered information and presented it to the parents. We could bring in the parent and then we could offer an outside counseling session for them. So a lot of the training from there helped me understand that you can't, you know, you can't be a real authoritarian and say go to the office, but that doesn't solve the problem because you have to bring that person back in. So, you know, let's try to find out what's going on. And, and you know, how, why are you, I noticed you're late every day, what's going on? And it could just be that on the way to class, I don't know, I see the person I broke up with or something silly, but it's a big deal. Yeah. So, um, and I, I really, I just was so humble to be able to get to do, you know, to get paid to do something I love to do. I I really was, I I, I was just gobsmacked that that was a thing that I, you know, that I 
could do this. And I, I, I liked, you know, I also, I like planning lessons. I like teaching lessons, but I found it such a blessing to have these people walk through my door and, and you know, like you have said, you, you weren't, you didn't read, but it's funny that it doesn't, it, you're going to be fine. Like most, most kids, there were some that I really worry about, but most, most people are going to be fine. You're just going to navigate those years. Well, um, and so that, and, and that's, that was really, it's good to hear that some people recognize that and, and kind of took that on board. It didn't always work. I tried that approach in New Zealand. It didn't really work. They're not very sort of, mm. they just want, they just want you to be, it's shifting. It's really shifting now. They're, they're being more aware of that, but they just wanted you to be the authentic. There's a, like, there's a bigger gap between teacher and student there that you were, you know, in charge and you should, yeah, they just, they didn't, they didn't get that they just wanted you to kind of be the authoritarian in the room and, and make it work and do you think any of that's intertwined with like american culture freedom of speech constitution how we all kind of the, the rights that we've all kind of grown up expecting um that's woven into the american education system that maybe i don't know i don't want to say benefits the students or not but i think definitely puts guidelines on how the teacher can approach yeah, I yeah success. I never I have not thought about that, and I I think there I think you're onto something. There are some cultural differences. So body language is very different here, and I you know in America we tend to be I mean in fact my keeping husband when I get he's like you're talking with your hands again they're very reserved very how was your day oh yeah they're very and but I will say this I I when I first came here I landed in a small town called Oporki 70% Maori so 70% indigenous people very rural very small town and I thought everywhere in New Zealand was like that because that's where I started you know that that it was uh, you, you yeah people spoke to you in Tereo Maori there was a, a Maori kopapa the Maori of the indigenous people so there was a way of doing things and it really it really um, changed my life. Like the, why? Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. So their approach is that it's very um, collaborative and cooperative and restorative. So that you you don't punish someone, send them to the office, banish them. You have to because they're you know they're tribal. You've got to bring them back in. And I realized it was so eye opening because I came from a system. I was you know when I as a student as a teacher where on some level it was competitive and punitive. You know, there, it's, you know, there was this, who's going to win the scholarships at the end of the year? Who's going to get the, you know, the, you know, and that you are going to punish people. And it, it just, I thought, well, it doesn't make sense. Like it just, it should be collaborative, cooperative, restorative, because that's the world. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you know, how are you going to get on? So I think there's also a sense of, we, we, and I admire it. You know, we love that like competition in America. We love, we love lauding people who win, but it, it's there's there was something profound in it, and and I made a lot of cultural mistakes. I really did. I didn't understand a lot of things, and the people there were very gracious and kind to me and helped me learn, and it was really transformative. Um, and I also saw because I thought education was this real, you know, balance or equalizer, but I really saw that. It's the system is sometimes stacked against certain people. And, and in particular, that school where I was teaching was a decile one. So they, they rate their schools decile one, lowest, socioeconomic, you know, poverty, da, 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 da. 
um, to Decile 10. And it, 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 you know, it was, it was a tough place to live and work. And my, my neighbors from the Mongol mob, literally not, you know, <laughs> you have a hard time living in Philly and running into mob, you know, mob members, but I lived next door to the mob and I, I, they were, they came to parent-teacher interviews, you know, they wanted the same things for their kids. So it was really, wow. yeah, it was really fascinating. Um, and I, I looked back at my time at Wissahickon and thought, I, I, I unknowingly, I made a lot of mistakes. I didn't know that I was kind of fostering competition in some ways. I didn't realize that, that I, you know, that some people's experience there would have been very different as, as a person of, of, from a different socioeconomic strata or as a person of color. I, you know, I had no idea. I just thought, oh, everybody gets the same chance, but I'm sure that there are things that were stacked against them. And I don't know that if that's, yeah, if I'm articulating that accurately, um, you know, no. looking outside, looking at the country from the outside and seeing this Black Lives Matter movement, I think it's, it, it probably was something there that I didn't. I'm curious, is there any, was there anything that stood out as far as like fostering competition it was a hicken that you, you felt was like a part of your routine yearly? I, don't, I just think the fact that I had to sort of grade and rank people. And I remember, people, I never, and I didn't mind students coming to ask me to discuss about the grade and why did, why did, and some of it was driven because they, you know, they had to get, I mean, it's not bad thing. They just wanted to get straight A's and get whatever they wanted to get. And, sure. but I just think the nature of the setup of the, of, and I'm not saying it was uber competitive, but the, the structure as a, as a foundation of the school was that you're going to compete for these grades mm. and you're going to get ranked accordingly. And then that's going to affect the school that you can get into. And, and I think that's the change that I saw in, in my short time there, that it, 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 there was a time when you could just do well in high school, come out and get a job and be fine. And, and then people just felt pressure to go to college as, as a way to measure your value. And I remember my niece not, you know, struggling and not getting into school. And then she did get in, but it was too hard. She dropped out. And she still, to this day, feels like she's dumb. And she's a failure. She doesn't have a college degree. And I thought, so that's what I think. The message that I question was, you should go to college. Yeah. And and I, so in that, you know, I don't think I was overtly saying that. But I think my mindset was like, oh, everyone will go to college. And that means you're, you, you're a success. And I didn't acknowledge other strengths that people had other ways in fact i remember a student invited me to go to the tech school i can't remember who it was hmm. to 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 see this exhibition that they had and i was blown away by the work they did i think that was it was four or five years into my teaching and i thought oh my gosh these people are amazing you know they, I remember, as i recall tech school you came to school half a day and then exactly. went to another school and nobody went really knew what, up near what that north was. Yeah, yeah. And, and I went and I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, you, I mean, I could never do any of that stuff. So it was really, but I felt like they were like the techies, you know, the tech kids that were. I wish I could do so many things that people that I was friends with, because none of my friends were college minded. Um, oh, they were all, yeah, they all went to, they were all tech school. I was friends with, I don't know if you remember these names, but like, obviously, I'm sure you remember like Ray Campion. Um, yeah. But, you know, Scott Ritter and Josh Taylor. And they were. Yeah. Yeah, they were all tech school kids, right? They would leave and they were into cars and building and that was their gig. No one, my friends weren't talking about what schools are we going to going to go to, Interesting. But, but that was the path that I was supposedly headed on. 
And I just wish I had so much more of an open mind of being hands-on and having a trade, having a skill so that oh, I don't have to, so I don't have to pay to like change my brakes or my oil <laughs> or, you know, just like to paint or to screw, you know, to screw stuff into the wall. And it, you know, those things are like, okay, let me really struggle with, I really struggle with those things. And it was so frowned upon growing up. Um, all of the pressure was on college, college, college. And talking to as many students as I have now, um, so many took that path and a good amount either left partway through that, through that journey or had a change course of what they were even going to college for uh, completely and, and, and went on a realized, oh my God, for the last six years, I've been going about the wrong thing and now I'm going to do this. And we just didn't know what we wanted, but it's, it is this like this kind of hidden um, stereotype of like, you have, you had to apply yourself at a college. Um, For me specifically in senior year, I remember it was, I almost, there was a point where I didn't know if I was going to graduate because I wasn't doing well in your class. Yeah. I think in my class, yeah, in your class. And, and I I had like a, a come to Jesus moment. It wasn't to like anything of, I just wasn't doing the work just flat out was going through a period uh, near that end of, of the year with just going through, you know, dealing with the death of Ray and senioritis. And I was just writing you off your class off. And, and I think I told my mom and my mom uh, called you and we worked on it and I got the work done and I ended up with like a B. Um, But, you know, when you were just talking about that, that pressure and the importance of it, I feel like you were very instrumental in just like allowing that to happen because you understood, you know, anyone, I think I'm big on TV shows and pop culture. And there's always like the mean teacher where you blew it. It's too bad. You blew your chance and that's it. And you fail. And you always want that teacher that, that always comes back and says, okay, you can come in. If you come in first thing in the morning, the next day, and you take this test, you can do, and you allowed me to, to play that scenario out and, and make good on the work, not for a point of, well, you blew it for a life lesson, but to say, here you go, do the work still, and you can still graduate with everyone and, and have no problems. Zach Rowe told a similar story when I talked to him uh, about a month ago. Wow. But Brad, you have, I have, sorry, I may get emotional now because I, you know, I, I live, so I do, I said, as I said to you, I live in this like 15 year window. So I don't often think about, you know, you, you, I mean, I think about the past. But, and, and when you approach me, I do remember, right, I do remember that situation. And I, I think the fact that you were struggling in English class was you were grieving. You, you were trying to process this thing that no one should have to go through, but not at your age. I mean, I have no idea what that was like for any of you. Yeah. And, and especially that core group, I remember you. I remember Scott Ritter, but you, Scott Ritter was sharp. He was, he was a smart cookie. I mean, he was a great guy. And Ray, I, I think he had a job. I mean, he was really driven. He was going to school and working. That was another mm-hmm. thing. It's like, yeah. how do you all do that? And I have to, I, I need to ask for your forgiveness because I don't think I handled that situation well with you guys. I think that it was so raw for me. And I had actually been, I think I had been to three or four funerals that year already. I think at the end, by the end of that year, I've been to nine funerals and I was pretty exhausted. Wow. It's not an excuse at all because I didn't oh. take the time to think, what is it like for these guys sitting in my room? Cause he was in our class. I, I we, all had remember class, having, we all had class I, together. I think it was me, Ray, think, Scott and Josh all had class together. Yeah, I, think, I do feel like that we did a, you know, we had some kind of, I don't know if someone came in, a guidance counselor or something. I thought, I thought we did something. I mean, in the back of my mind, I feel like we tried to address it. But yeah. I also remember going 
appeared on going to his parents' house, but I, I mean, I, that his, God bless his parents. They, I don't know how you come back from that. I mean, his father just, you know, his father clearly loved that, loved him and just yeah. was devastated. Um, so I, I just need to acknowledge that, that I, you know, I, I hope, I mean, it's very kind of you. It's good to hear that I, I didn't do the damage that I did because I did worry about that over the years. I just thought I, I've done some damage for you and your mates who, who were grieving this friend and trying to process this, this terrible, terrible thing that didn't make any sense, <laughs> you know, and, um, and strangely, yeah, strangely enough, I, I ran a, I, I did a marathon at the end of that year. I was raising money for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. And I was, it was in Alaska. It's very random. It's just this random thing. And I had a few days after the marathon, I went to Denali National Park. And I went to see the, the training of the Huskies. Mm. And there was this Husky dog that kept, it wanted me to come over to the cage. And I didn't know why. And the trainer said, just go over there. And the dog's name was Campion. And I lost it. I lost. I just, I just prayed for his family. I prayed for all of you. I just cried and thought, okay, it's, we're going to, like, you guys are going to be wow. fine. You're going to, you know, you're, you're going to, and you've come through the other side. Clearly you have, like, you're going to, I don't know how to deal with it. They didn't know how to deal with it, but you're going to be, yeah, it was really powerful. And I, I remember writing a note to his parents and just saying, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I can't imagine that. I'm sorry that I wasn't more, you know, I never really reached out to them afterwards. I just sort of went to the funeral and went to their house and left. But it, and I'm sure they had, they, they had such a nice support in that little neighborhood down in Amber. It's such a great little town. And, but it really, it really, it's really lovely to be able to talk to you about that and say that because I felt just, I just thought you guys are going to be okay. You're going to get there and raise whatever happened with Ray. We can't undo it. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think that's what I kept thinking. We can undo it and we can make it good, but it, yeah. So well done to you for getting through that really difficult time and for being a kind person. I, I don't remember any of you being really, you know, mad, you know, doing stupid things, setting fires in the bathroom or being mad at the world. You, you know, you try to deal with your grief and maybe just not doing English was the best choice, you know, and a way for your mom to come in and talk to you, support you and say, okay, Let's figure this out and then let's figure out the other stuff. So I think what I learned from that is you have to, you can't just talk about it one day. You have to, you have to check in every day with this. You know, I should have checked in with you every day. Just even if I did it quietly and privately, I should have checked in with you every day, with Scott Ritter every day. And, and who, who's, yeah, I mean, I just, you know what I mean? Just to wait and, 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 send, and, and I wish that I had the permission to say to you, who cares about the work and the grades? I don't care. Like I wish yeah. I had been had the courage to go to the, Whoever head of the English department say, look, here's the deal. I'm sending yeah. these kids. They don't need in the big picture of life, they don't need to do this work. It doesn't matter. You know? It's interesting, and, yeah. And what I um New Zealand, again, New Zealand is very everything's fine till it's not fine. Everything's fine. And they just move on. Mm. And so when you had I mean, I, sadly here that New Zealand has a one of the highest suicide rates among 18 and 25 year olds, in particular males. Very high. Wow. Um, 16, maybe 16 to 25. Yes. And so I've been through several suicides as a teacher here. They they just move on. They just move along. Everything's mm. great. And so it's and I didn't move along. I just said, here's the deal. You know, here's how we're gonna run things here, and it might be uncomfortable for you, but yeah, we're just gonna take a time out today. You know, I just learned from that that you have to check in, you have to identify the key people. 
Um, yeah, I mean, and, and there have been other tragic deaths as well that just have happened, but it's, um, yeah, it's not healthy. You've got to really, yeah, so anyway, so I'm sidebarring and no, no. That I mean, that story's that story's incredible. So I I appreciate it because that's a, you know, benefits of this podcast are when you know people open up new memories or can give me information because people credit me for my memory. But there's a lot of things I don't know. So when someone can drop something like that that I just never wasn't even expecting to come out of this, that's like means a lot to me. Well, thank you. And, you know, in a sense, we went through this life changing event together. I, I, I mean, I really do yeah. remember when you. I remembered you. I remembered Scott Ritter, and I knew that was a third person. I, I remembered Ray. I never. I mean, I never. You yeah. don't forget that, really. And may it have been Daniel it Pitcher. Josh. It must. It must have been Josh. Yeah, maybe was a Daniel Pitcher. Oh, Daniel! Yes. Oh my gosh. You know, one of the things that um, that you were talking about that struck me when you you said you were like one of twenty eight hmm. in the in the class. That's like how you you looked at it. Um, if you were the you know one of 28, you know, from my side being another one of 28, I was always so conscious of where I stood in class um, as far as like popularity. How do people look at me? Uh, we talk about stereotypes a lot. The cool kids, the nerds, the the dorks, the band geeks, the, uh, you know, the, the outcasts. Uh, we had the trench, you know, we were we were right before Columbine. So we had trench coat mafia. You mentioned the techies. Um, were you ever... I know, I know you had, you were aware and I'm sure you saw, but being one of 28, did you ever find yourself falling into the, oh, these are the, like the, here's the cool kids and, or like uh, that affecting how you, you know what I mean? Interacted like, oh, here's the, yeah. like you wanting almost to be accepted the way that like a student would want to be. If you're one of 28, did you ever find yourself like, oh, I want, like you want to be obvious, obviously have a good relationship, but do you want the cool kids to to like you or like th these guys are really smart and I hope I, I hope they, I click with that. You know what I mean? Like I, I think probably I favored like when I coach, I think I'm sure I favored the lacrosse players, field hockey players. I, I don't know. I was conscious of it, but I'm sure that I, yeah. Had a lot more. I, uh, yeah. So the jocks. I think that, you know, I think that maybe <laughs> the jocks, I don't know about the jocks, I think the jocks. I think that, that, you know, when you, I mean, I remember being in high school as well, and you kind of knew where you stood, but I think that's more important to the te to you as students. I don't think yeah. the teachers are, but, but I think what's funny, I think what I saw with the teachers was, it was like, who gets to teach AP English? You know, that was the, you know what I mean? And I was never in the running for that. And I, um, I really liked, I mean, I, it was funny. The other thing I saw change when I first started teaching there, there were, you know, a lot of levels, level, I don't know, level one, level two, level three, level four. And I was like, I'll take level one or two. I always wanted that. I, I love that. I loved working with that group. And I, thank goodness, because when I ended up in a port key, that's, I had a really, really rough group, really rough group of kids. And I asked to stay with them. And this principal said, are you sure? I'm like, yep, I want to stay with them because I worked really hard to get them, you know, to this, this space and I want to stay with them. And I, yeah, I really, I mean, they would have been what you, they would have been the, the throwaways. I don't know what you call them, but they would have been the, the, like tr special, the troubles. Yeah, like they, the would have been, they were. Well, yeah, probably some of them were, but, but they, they just came from some pretty, they didn't have a lot of coping skills because, mm. but, you know, they would, pardon me for the language, but they, you know, they oh. get, their way to cope with, you know, call someone an F and C and punch them in the head. And I was like, oh, like, what else can we do? Like, let's turn. But that, that was, 
that was what was modeled for them at home. And I saw it, you know, I saw it in the, this little small town. I saw it in the grocery store. People basically just didn't have a lot of coping skills or were under a lot of pressure and they tended to, especially if they were involved in mom yeah. mom. But, um, and, and so, and I, I realized that it was really stressful for them. They didn't want to live like that. They, they understood that, you know, this wasn't helpful or, yeah. yeah. And so we, I got some guidance and advice from, um, Akuya, a, a, a venerable old lady, a Maori woman who came into the room to help. They, a lot of them were special ed, so she came in to help with them. And I watched her and I thought, first of all, my body language is very threatening. Because, you know, in America, we stand tall, walk rapidly towards you. Mm. And we do a lot of this. And she just, she moved very slowly. She spoke in a language. She did a lot with her face. Basically, mm. you know, raising her eyebrows. And, and I just really was very blessed and lucky to learn that from her. And I really, I really, I really, they were great. I love them. I just love seeing their, their potential progress. And, um, it, you know, really, I just, it's funny because I, I, I wasn't aware at that point, like, are there, were they the cool kids, not cool kids? They just for people who needed a hand. And, you know, I also, I spent two years teaching in the Cook Islands in a tiny, tiny 500 people on this island. Um, really lucky, loved it. And, I, I, because I had learned, made so many mistakes and learned from them, I did some of my best teaching there. I just really met them where they were and recognized that you need to approach it, you know, not come in as this American, American white lady bringing you all these things. I needed to kind of meet them where they were. And I, it was just amazing. We went through a lot of, uh, I feel like, uh, kind of rule checks uh, during our time, especially with like clothes. I remember, especially just more so with girls. Uh, right. We were the, the girls of our of our class, were like the spaghetti straps, the um, the short shorts. And that was where, you know, rules about how high from your kneecap your shorts had to be and you had to wear sleeves. Um, were you what was your your stance on, you know, this kind of evolving world of, yeah. you know, especially where it's especially I don't know, especially looking at it from like current day also where women are empowered and women shouldn't be ashamed to, you know, show themselves, but also there's 15 year old girls and 16 year old girls. Is there a limit? Where did you stand on all these, on all these things? Were you ever offended by any of this? Of I, the- just thought, I, I felt like it was really difficult for my male colleagues. Like they, sometimes they would come to me and say, look, because I do remember this sort of like G string underwear and they wear their pants really low. And it was just awkward that the teacher, cause he, 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 you know, he, he couldn't approach them. So I felt there for them. And I, I didn't like pajama day. I thought that was so weird. <laughs> I really did not like, you should not be wearing pajamas at school because first of all, mentally, you're like in your pajamas. You're just like, oh, let's just chill because I'm in my pajamas. Um, did you partake then? Was that was that something that's, that the teachers no, were... <laughs> I don't, I didn't. I don't remember doing that, but I do remember it was a thing. I was like, Mr. Lazar and his PJs. <laughs> Did he? Did he really? No, no, no. That would be funny. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh my gosh, that's funny. No, I. But uh, to get back to that, I just, I, it's, it is a fine line, you know. You, and that isn't a real American thing. Like I have a right to wear what I want to wear and do what I want to do, which is great. But it, you have to be conscious of other people. Mm. And what I, please, I don't mean it disrespectfully, but you know, teenage boys are just raging hormones. And I remember going into this male teacher who said, can you help me with this? And the kid behind was just like drooling. Like he was sitting right behind her. It was just, you know, mm. and I thought, oh, the poor guy, you know, what, you know, just. It's probably me. Yeah. And so I don't, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. And I, they are very, it's funny because they, I was really bad about 
I almost got yelled at and called into the principal's office here because I wasn't doing uniform checks properly, but I wasn't used to, like, I had to pull their socks up. I'm like, good Lord, if that's your biggest worry in the day, pick up your socks. You know, and they, they could only haircut, because their hair had to be short. The boys couldn't have hair touching the collar. Girls, no dyed hair, no jewelry, you know. And they, and that, and they tried to get, that's how they would, like, break the rules. They were earrings. Yeah. yeah. Oh, earrings. But, oh, yeah, you know. So, so they would, and, and also I, I would say that in the monks, the Maori and the Polynesians, they're very conservative. So when I went to teach in this Cook Island, I could not wear sleeveless. It was hot, you know, like sleeveless, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and cover up. Like they were very, very modest. Um, yeah, they, they wanted to be. Yeah, even even now I go to this Pacific Island Presbyterian Church, and I, you know, they want you to wear a long skirt and cover up. Yeah, you know, so disrespect that you just do it, but they're very yeah. much more conservative. Um, and I'd say that the you know another nice thing about the uniform is it, it it you can't kind of tell them socioeconomically where people come from. I mean that was that was a distinction for me when kids were coming to school in cars nicer than mine. You know. Yes. <laughs> like. What's the point of that? But, that was yeah. that was a huge thing for me where like I didn't know I had no sense of fashion. So like I would get my cult my clothes from Kmart. And people it was like people would know my clothes were from Kmart. Like, is that a Kmart shirt? Like, no. Like, <laughs> it was such pressure. You know, I'd I would wear like, I don't know. I would I saw a picture the other day. It was the trendiest I've ever looked of me senior year on a chorus trip, and all the guys are wearing baggy khaki pants. Oh, great. But like that's, I just wore like whatever was bought for me. And, you know, I had no idea, but some kids, you know, Eric Coxon talked about Armani and, and the clothes that he oh, was, gosh. Of, but, you know, he was so into, you know, from his passed down from his grandmother that taught him about designer wear. And I'm just like, dude, how did you even know about, like, I had no idea these things <laughs> even existed. I don't know what yeah. Versace is or, you know, any clothing line. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. And yeah, I, I, it's funny because I, um, I have four sisters and four brothers and then the end of them. And I, when I got into middle school, I really wanted to play sport. And my mom was like, okay, well, here are your brother's cleats. They were too big. I stuffed them with newspapers and she's like, that's all we got. You know, I was just so happy I could play a sport that I, I was so unaware and I lived in hand-me-downs. I just was unaware. And yeah. here it's, you know, I just go to secondhand shops. I don't care anymore. But I, I think there was a time, I think, I feel like when I was teaching, I was really into clothes. I feel mm-hmm. like I thought I got money now I can buy, you know, it's a living hand-me-downs anymore. But I didn't right. realize that it was still, I think when I was in high school, it was eyes on shirts and day glow. And I don't, I, I remember I wore, you know, Chuck Con, Chuck Taylor Converse Bobos, they called them, but now yeah, they're fashionable, yeah, but- which I think, I think it's so funny that they're fashionable now. I was going to was- say, I feel like they all, I remember Izod's uh, when I was a kid and, and that, I feel like they all kind of made their comeback. I always ask uh, classmates what they were like watching, listening to, what, what were you like watching? Were you watching shows or, or movies or anything like during the, that nineties era? Were you ever? I, were I you feel ever- like Mel- was Melrose Place on then? Was there something called that? Melrose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch it with no gosh, it's so funny. Yeah, 902 and 0, 902 and 0. No, I didn't watch that. 902 and 0. Oh my gosh. I didn't watch that. I think kids were into that one. Yes. And they were also into, I think it was Friends then. Friends, yeah, Friends was out. I didn't watch I was yeah, I think they were into that. Um what else? Um oh, Seinfeld. I like Seinfeld. Yeah, Seinfeld. Oh, it was, was Mr. Quimby. You remember Mr. Quimby? 
Yes. Funny, because I looked in the yearbook uh, and you have a quote as far as if you weren't a teacher, what would you be? And I think it said Mr. Quimby's fashion coordinator. Because always you wore khaki pants and a blue shirt. Do you know that I arranged one time I arranged for this, his class to dress up like that? I, I, um, <laughs> I got him out of the room and they all dressed like that. And I went in. Oh, so funny. And also. Gosh, so, so this is the thing that teachers do. We, I used to play prank. We used to like pranks on each other. What? Me and I in particular. So they're, um, you know, you know the Keith Haring artists with the stick figures. Yeah. Them. So there was a Keith Haring drawing, and there and there's like a fart coming out of his back, and it has like a circle on a car, like a no farting zone. So mm. I put that on his mat, you know, the roll up mat. Well, do you remember Mrs. Linden? She was the head of the yeah. Okay. yeah. So, so I do this and I think it's so funny, you know, because I, I was often in school because I was coaching. I was often in school at night. I'd go back in and get my stuff and I, yeah, I walk by his room and the janitor's and now I'm like, oh, I'm just going to come in. Anyway, he caught so, so I think this is so funny. Oh, he comes to my room and he's like, he's really upset. I said, what's going on? And he said, Mrs. Linden observed me today. And I was like, or Miss Linden, whatever. Yeah. And I said, okay. And he said, guess what happened? <laughs> So he's teaching. He's he's looking at the kids, da, 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 and he pulls down the map. And of course, they lose it. They get hysterical. And he turns, and then he looks at her, and she's just like, ready, you know. So he comes, I'm so sorry. And I just said, I'll go talk to her about it. You know, so then I had to, because I think I think she, I feel like she was assistant principal or something. Mrs. Lynette, I feel like she was uh, she was head of like the oh. social of like uh, of uh, history or yeah, something like that. Yeah, she definitely was. So I had to go yeah. in and I had to apologize. She's like, you know, it's not very professional. I'm like, oh, no, I'm really sorry. But oh, it was just, I thought it was fun. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it was just a- Could you get in trouble from the principal? Like our principal was uh, Mr. Anderson while uh, during oh. our run. Would, would you like, could a teacher get in trouble for, for misbehaving? And like, could teachers tell on each other? No, I mean, I think if you could cross the line, but let's talk, sorry, can we talk about something else that, you know, Mr. Anderson makes me think of this. So, yeah. Some of what drove me to leave Mr. Hicken was, um, was the behavior of Matt Milio, Mr. Milio. Yeah. All that. Because I awkwardly kept running into him. He, his room was right next to mine, my classroom, down that, that hallway. And he, you know, he had blacked out his door. He had put like, and that oh. like, is a big note. Like, yeah, as a teacher, you're like, you don't, you know, you don't lock out the window. And I kept running into him. He, one time I went into the locker room after practice to put equipment away. And he was inside the girls' locker room in the gym with some girl. And I was yeah. like, what? And then he's acting like, he's, I, you know, he, I said, what are you doing in here? How'd you get, it was very awkward. And I kept seeing him. And I was very, very concerned about some of the behavior. I'm thinking, you know, and, I went, I remember going to a teacher and getting some guidance and saying, look, I just, I've, I've documented these things. I used to see them in the park. It was just weird. Something wasn't right. And she said to me, you can submit that, but you're going to lose your job. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, he's got connections. With, he, he's, so I'm just bringing this up because one of the people that he had gotten good with was Mr. Anderson, mm. who was a bit, Sexist. I don't know what he was a bit sort of. Yeah. And, and so I think that looking back now, I understand that Mr. Milio really was a predator 
that he had been, you know, eventually things came out and I left New Zealand and it turns out he had systemically been, you know, been grooming girls for years and no. even at his previous school. And I think that when Mr. Anderson came in, he, this is how he introduced himself to the staff when we met him. He said, who got laid this summer? And I was like, what? And he said, no, no, Mr. Schwartz and Mr. Some other guy, some other math teacher went to Hawaii and they got lazy when they got off the plane. Ha ha ha. But I think in Mr. Melio's mind, he thought, Here, this, I've got permission now. So this guy's, you know, this guy's one of mine. Like, I've got permission to do what I want to do. And I think that's when it, uh, this is how my narrative, my framing of it looking back. But I think he started again because it, 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 it I mean, you might know more than I, because I was in New Zealand, but it turned out that systemically there had been a number of, it wasn't just one, he had been systemically yeah, grooming girls, I mean, for years. And and so I I remember leaving with um, Katie Lang, this teacher next door to me. I just said, look, this, this is this documentation of things, just walk it away. And if something comes up, and ironically, <laughs> like a few years from the second year in New Zealand, I heard that the, the FBI came in or something, and they. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, uh, a couple cases had been were brought to light that that he was uh, brought up on charges of. Um, when you when you talk about like uh, I don't know like a new principal, and you said you you notice it looking back, but what is the what is the dynamic between like a teacher and a principal as it as it relates to like the rest of the faculty. Um, the culture, because you've had a few principals, I, you know, throughout yeah. your, your school time, um, yeah. how does a principal act for, you know, as like a leader for a teacher? I think, you know, as a student, we look at like, oh, the, the principal's the big boss, but I think yeah. as a, as a grown up, not knowing a lot about, you know, the teaching yeah. world, I guess I find it hard to look at like the principal is the actual boss of the teachers, but is that, is that the case? Does, does the principal set the tone? Is the principal the leader? Or are you guys all kind of look yourself as independent contractors and he's just in charge of the of the students and the rules for them great question brad i he, you know he's my boss he's a leader he, you have to be respectful of the people in charge and i i can't remember there was a succession of, of several principals in a row I, I feel like he wasn't there very long but maybe i'm mistaken he started I, he started with us in 97 our freshman year and he did see oh, us through he, he saw us through senior year and I don't know at what point he left was the Hicken. Yeah. So he was there longer than I realized. I, I I feel like the person that came, you know, the person that was serving before him had been there a long time. And so it's always hard. Mm. And, and, and I mean, like anything, you, you when you use this change of leadership, you bring in your people that are going to support you and set that up and it can be disruptive. Um, but I think that... I think it was such a shocking thing to hear him introduce himself that way. And he maybe haven't attempted to be funny and, it, and he was nervous, you know, there could have been all kinds of things, but it just didn't go over well mm. with the staff. We were sort of like, oh. I mean, even, even Mr. Schwartz, who was, you know, put in that, he's like, that was really weird. Yeah. Don't but, put me in that. <laughs> but I think, and, and, and I'm sorry, I'm telling you just once interaction with him, you know, he did other things as a principal that were great. It's just that, that to me, connecting that moment to later to Mr. Milio and thinking oh, that, because he did really start from what I understand. I mean, I was not aware of the other ones, but I mean, I was aware of at least two, two different people that were, yeah. Interested. He was spending a lot of time with, let's just put it that way. I was, you know, I was aware of that. But, it, and, and I was, 
if I had to do it over again, I think I probably would have just said, well, it's worth losing my job over, but this has got to be brought to light, you know, just, yeah. and I don't know how it finally, you know, did come about. Um, yeah. Um, and then sadly there, you know, there were, it, there was, yeah, uh, um, it's hard to talk about. So a colleague of mine, as I was teaching in New Zealand, and I remember talking to her about that situation. It just came up, and it turned out that she was doing the same thing, and she committed suicide. And very quickly, suddenly, and it was really. It was. I really, I really, really struggled with that because I, I did not. I didn't see it. I didn't. I was just like, I was like, how would I not see this? Because I saw the other one, and also because I had said, I had said some really. Yeah, judgmental things about Mr. Milio's behavior and, and sharing the story with her. I, I think it came up because there would have been a case in New Zealand and we were all just sitting around talking about it. And, mm. and so I had to really, I was just ashamed that, and I will say that the, the Polynesian students really, they came in every day, prayed in her room, they came and prayed with me, they, they took her out. I mean, it was just an amazing situation. Mm. They felt really far done by. And so it was a learning part for me. And I remember speaking to her mom. A couple of years ago, I just ran into her into some various bar, and she said, "It's you know, it's okay." And I think for my colleague, she she loves teaching. It was what she did, and she just thought she just felt trapped. It was it was like a quick, you know, it was was one of those quick decision suicides. It wasn't a you know, plan well planned one, and um, but it did. It, the school didn't deal well. I, I mean, I mean, they did the best they could. They didn't really know what to do, but they didn't. They didn't handle the situation well. How did you set, not that you're, you know, especially, certainly not to those type of levels that we're talking about with Mr. Milio, but, you know, you were, you're, you're a, you know, you're a young teacher in a school district with, you know, boys, like you said, with hormones and all that. Um, but then also you're, you're a coach uh, for girls. How do, how do you go about as a teacher, like setting these limits for yourself so that you don't you don't get yourself um, not in a situation where you have to make a decision, but so you don't put yourself in an awkward situation where someone mm. else could look either as, you know, with boys, but also with being too friendly with these girls that you may be coaching. Like you said, you think you favored them, but I'm sure in the back mm. of your head, you don't, you don't want to be the friend teacher, you know, let's hang out, Miss McCracken on a, on a Saturday night type of thing, right? You don't want to give off that impression. How do you create that separation mm. with students? Because students, I think, will go with whatever you put out. Yeah, it's interesting because, it, you know, because part of the team thing is you go, you have team dinner, so you go to these parents' house and you, you know, you, you interact with them and um, it, in a different, you know, you, you see them that way. But it's, it, I, I think that it's really tricky now because, like, when I was teaching, there was no, there weren't cell phones, really. You know, you can text right. people immediately or send pictures or do whatever. And so I think that we're, we're access porn at school, you know, things right. like that. I think that it's a bit more um, challenging. I think they're, they're just different, different ways. I mean, I've heard of cases in New Zealand of students um, sticking a camera under a teacher's skirt and taking pictures. I mean, there's things like that going on. Right. So you, you're not aware of all of that. Like it's, yeah. And I think you just, you know, you, you're mindful that you're the adult, but it is, so, for example, things like hey, your friend dies, it's, it's probably okay to hug them and say, but, but you, you're always aware, like, if I do this, it's just going to get misinterpreted. You're always aware of that. You're always aware of 
I think as a female teacher, you get a bit more leeway than a male teacher, which is probably, I mean, it may have changed now, but a double standard. Yeah. Um, and I, I would say that for, you know, for me, they're just simple guidelines you get as a teacher. So you, again, you don't, you always keep the door open. You don't come put, you know, you don't cover up the window on your door. If you think you're going to have a difficult meeting, you ask somebody else to be present, you know, a colleague, you just cover your butt really. And yeah. it's, it's sad that you have to think that way. Um, but it is just, I think it's just the nature of the beast now. I think it's, I don't know. I mean, I've been out of the States teaching for so long, so I'm not really sure what, yeah. what goes on there. You uh, you coached uh, both lacrosse and field hockey? Yeah. Um, yeah. Was it varsity? Uh, was Well, how does the how do the girls' sports work? Because is there JV for, for field hockey and lacrosse? Yes, and at that time, I think there was a ninth grade team as well. I don't okay. know that stuff. They just have absorbed that into the high school now. And so I yeah. started JV, both of them. And then um, I, I was a head coach at some point for lacrosse. And I, I also remember doing, like, working at the football games on the sideline with Mr. Lomity. We would we would hold the sticks. I remember doing that because we had, I think we got paid or something. Anyway, it was really funny. We, I remember doing that, and um, I remember working at the wrestling that Like I just did anything I could to sort of get extra money so I could travel. That was my money, money, oh. coaching money, and anything extra was yeah. Let me I was able to do a lot of traveling in the summer, which is great. But I remember I remember getting. I, I, I didn't get out of the way fast enough. I kind of got tackled on the sideline. And I, and I remember that in class, one of the students saying, oh, at the game, the stick holder got, you know, got tackled. And I was like, that was me. Like, was this really funny? Because they, they were like, what? Did you, uh, did you play uh, lacrosse and field hockey in high school? Like, did you know the sport? To... I did. I played okay. in high school I, and I played uh, in, in college as well. Just a small little, small school. I played four years. And then I, I was, I think at that time when I was coaching, I was still playing on the weekends. There were, you know, adult traveling a bit, but I, I may have stopped by then. I can't remember. Um, I want to ask you about two, two rather embarrassing for me moments <gasps> um, in your classroom dealing with uh, works that we were uh, exposed to. Uh, okay. So yeah. One was we watch and I these are like it's funny, like I, I was thinking about them today. I was like, this is like very like it's pre cancer cancel culture, as they call it. But it was, you know, the idea of making a hoopla without understanding what you're making a hoopla off of uh, hoopla about strictly off of your first impression. OK, so the first one was we watched uh, Deathmatch. Deathmatch. Does this is sound this familiar? Death Trap. Death Trap. Yes, it was a play. Death yes. Trap. Okay, yes. go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, Sorry. Death Trap. Yes. Okay. I was like, Death, death Trap. <laughs> okay, Death Trap. So, yes, let me remember this. He's he's married and they set up, they kill his wife or something? Yeah, and they're okay. they're in a relationship secretly and it's like the big twist. It's okay. like, oh, actually, right, we're gay together. And okay. I actually did some reading up on it uh, by blundering the name you'd never know, but I did a little reading up <laughs> on it where yeah. it was uh, Michael Caine's first ever gay role. Uh, oh. And he said, like, people were up in arms about it originally. He told him, don't do it, don't do it, because uh, it was going to ruin his career. And people were screaming on the screen, but that's Superman. And and it was a very controversial, you know, in the, I think, 70s, uh, very controversial uh, movie and, and role for both of them to take. 
And they so backstory of the scene also where the, so the big thing is we're watching what this movie. Do they kiss or something? They it, kiss. It, it, they okay, kiss. Okay. Right. So okay. we're 17, 18 years old. And this is like the first movie I've ever watched where two gay men are kissing. And I'm just like, I can't believe she's, you know, this was in the era where it's cool to, you know, to make fun of gay people. It's cool to, to use gay slurs. Everyone's doing that in the 90s and the 2000s. So here we are watching this kind of, again, higher level type of art with Michael Caine, one of the greatest actors of all time in one of his yeah. early roles, playing this kind of, you know, not a big movie, but it's a play. So it's obviously it's a literary piece, but we're watching this movie and I'm just like making it a thing to, to make it a thing. You know what I mean? I don't remember this. Go ahead. Keep going. This is great. Yeah. So, th so this was the first one, but then the second one where I was like, I, this was the one where I think Scott and I left your classroom rape fantasies. Short stories oh, about Margaret about, Atwood. Yeah. 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 Uh, we read that uh, we were to read that one. And I was just like, rape fantasies. You can't make like you can't make me read about rape. And I was just like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. And we ended up leaving the classroom. And you ex you excused us from the from that specific reading. But we we're just like, we're offended. And um, and I feel like it's those things again. I didn't know what I was you know, revolting against, or I was just making a hoopla to make a hoopla to try and make a scene about something. Oh, but let's put it in perspective. Was this after Ray's death? Yeah. It, was it? it could have been, but it's possible that it wasn't. I don't remember, you know, like, I don't remember like feeling like in term, I just, I remember specifically just wanting to be like a troublemaker and wanting to like cause attention to like yeah. maybe try and get you in trouble or try, you know what yeah. I mean? You know what I mean? Like you can't make, more so just because I don't want to read it, but also just playing into, you know, things that I just didn't really know much about in the first place. But I just found yeah. it. Did, did, you ever, did you ever read rape fantasies? Because it's not about rape at all. Did you ever go back and read it? It's I didn't. I read, I, just, a, I read a summary about it before before talking with you yeah. yesterday. I did read a summary about yeah. uh, about it. And it's like yeah. a dark humor, right? Well, uh, probably what I could have done better is to say, yeah, introduce this and say this has a yeah, you know, provocative title. Let's figure out why. Because her, she, her fantasy is really just about she's going to take these men home and they're going to she's going to help them. Or, as I recall, you know, she, it's not the fantasies. The, the, the fantasies aren't about rape. It's a women, no, the women nothing aren't. sexual in it at all. She's yeah. just a really a really lost woman. But it is it, it is a, yeah. So possibly I could have done that better. And I, I guess with the Christopher Reeve thing, I have a brother who's gay, and I think when he was eight, he knew. I'm like I, I don't, you know, I still think like how do you know at eight, but. But he, it, it didn't occur to me that this wasn't a, and this is what I'm saying to you. I think about like, I didn't, I didn't really think about what other people maybe experience in their own lives. I think I just was like, oh, let's watch this. You know, and I was just thinking it's more the, the surprise of it. And it's like a clever twist. And it's, um, I think they were, I feel like the original play was called The Mousetrap, but I could be misremembering. That sounds right. So, yeah. Yeah. And so that, it, it, and they changed it to call it Death Trap. But it is, it's this very clever sort of, and I guess I had also I had also seen it done on the stage. It was originally a play, and I'd seen it. I think in in college, I'd seen it on the stage, and it's it's clever. It's very, you know, it's all this. And because of it, the lighting on the stage, everything's black and white. I think they tried to produce that in the movie, so it is that. Are, you know, are things really black and white, or is there a gray? You know, it's that, it was meant to it, it was meant to engage discussion, and possibly, I just was not sensitive to the fact that these were things, you know. And I don't, I guess I sort of remember people saying that, like, that's gay. Like, oh, that's gay. Like, you wouldn't say that now. But I don't, right. I don't, I was not privy to the teen, 
you know, homophobic language that you would have yeah. said to each other. I think that if people, and if people did say it in the classroom, I would have, in fact, I remember mm. pulling a kid outside one time and saying, this, you know, that why is this important to you to speak this way? This really, I just want you to be aware of your brother. And I will defend him. I, you know, I don't want to get comfortable for you, but you can't use this language in front of me. I mean, yeah. if you do choose to use it, it's going to get better. I just remember having that moment, but it, it, I'm so sorry that I put you in that position. I'm so sorry to you and Scott if that, if that made you uncomfortable and if I was insensitive to other kids in the class. And I don't think I was uncomfortable though. That's the, that's the thing. I, I really remember it more of like, this is just something I want to be right about. You, you know, again, and I, and I also apologize that I didn't acknowledge that and that you were right to, you know, like, this is your moment. That's great. That's fine. And let's, what else can we do? Like, I don't, I don't, I sort of remember you guys leaving. I don't remember you leading the class, but I don't, I did. I, I'm assuming I didn't, chase after you or no no i think we probably went, we probably went to mr anderson or something and he probably talked to you and um and no do you know who it was uh tom what's his name the other speakman. guy um, speakman yes yes i do remember this now you see me and he said i yes this is, funny. <laughs> <laughs> this is so funny so what do yeah, you remember? I, he came to you and said, what's the deal with the said, rape you know, fantasies? Two, I think he said two of your students came and can you tell me, I think he just wanted, I think what he wanted to know was my, like, what is the story about kind of thing? What happened in the class? So he wanted my version of events. Like, I can't remember what I said about, like, I guess he just laughed. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember if you made a big protest or, you know, but. We did that well, day. I, mean, I don't know. I don't remember what I said, him, but I do remember him asking about that. And I, then I feel like we had a little, Hooey, a little meeting together somewhere, all of us. Am I that sounds right. And I think you just said, like, I think you, I think you gave somewhat of the explanation of what you just gave uh, about right. what this was, and, and and maybe even said like I could have explained it better so that you weren't upset or didn't feel like you had a reason to to cause a, a stir. But um, in the end, you excused us from the project. There weren't any repercussions or anything. Uh, but it's huh. something that I always think back on and just like I feel bad about because it was so it's so close minded. And reading about these projects just in yesterday, you know, you just think like, oh, man, I should have given this a chance because, like you said, it, the purpose of it, even if I didn't know it or you you, you weren't able yeah. to explain it, then the purpose was to have this discussion and which is a much higher level discussion when you think about, I don't know, like college courses. And those are the type of things that you appreciate from a college perspective more than mm -hmm. just, you know, let's talk about the philosophy of the work more than just yeah. what happened give us the summary do you memorize the plot write down the write down an essay about what happened you know it was a discussion i missed out on that so that's yeah. why as a, as a grown-up huh. i regret miss you know missing out on an experience like that which i think would have made me appreciate probably the class more and i probably would have approached a lot of things more differently at that young age huh well thank you i mean i think that possibly what i could have done better is just offered lots of more choice like what do you guys want what you know be aware of the class. What do you want to read? Yeah. If I have, if I have to get to this thing that like you know, a head of the department said you've got to cover this thing. There are other ways to do it, and I think I probably should have been more. All right, what can we read? I think I just went to let's just read this. <laughs> what inspired your selection so, to to pull things like not not just those those works, but I don't. I feel like there was some kind of unit that you know, like we had to have a excuse me that there was a theme given to us, like I don't know, theme of greed or whatever it was, or. And, and then we had to pick texts around that. I mean, sometimes things were prescribed. We had to teach certain things. I do remember that. Like, I remember we had to teach Hamlet and, um, what were the other ones, you know, some other, but, and then, and then especially at, at 12th grade, we were given a bit more leeway, you know, to pick 
it wasn't as prescribed. We were, I because I, I, I guess you had to have English all four years, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I think I also, at that time, I was teaching creative writing and public speaking, which were electives. And I, I think I had a lot more, yeah, wiggle room there. And I, th- I feel like at year 13, there was as well. It wasn't as strict as the other years where we all kind of had to read the same things. Does that make mm, sense? Yeah. So I don't, I honestly don't remember. I'd have to go back into that space and try to remember what, you know, what was, well, I don't know, what was even it, what was I trying to get across. Mm-hmm. And maybe I was just trying to, I, I, I have a feeling that there were some other stories that had to deal with death, that de- dealt with death, and I was trying to avoid. Mm, anything yeah, which maybe, would, which maybe was stupid. I, you know, I, what was I trying to protect you guys from? You, you know, <laughs> you were living it. <laughs> And, and, and it is, it, yeah, and I think that is the tricky part, teaching English, because you do have access to all these stories, and you just have to, inevitably, someone's going to not like it or be offended or whatever, and you just have to go, okay, so let's let's talk about, let's have a dialogue if we can, but yeah, some people aren't ready, and yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, thank you for bringing that up. It's so funny. I forgot about that. I was trying to think of other times when... When you said it, I'm like, what else was I called to the principal's office? Uh, who were some of the teachers that you were like, that you were friendly with? What is the vibe like with you? I mean, you talked about like getting there early and, and you know, having kind of making that transition from, you know, me yeah. a student and now you're a teacher. But by the time yeah. that, you know, by the time I'm graduating in, in 01, you've been there for yeah. for eight years. Oh, yeah. There's There's been, uh, there were buyouts. So a lot of the older teachers uh, who have been there That's for some right. time moved yeah. out and we had a lot of uh younger teachers move in so you're kind yeah. of at that you're part of the, the old guard quote unquote you know i guess so i know yeah. um i so i have had i have had people come visit me in new zealand um this cool. is juliano and miss ganser and mr gallagher and his wife they they've come to visit which has been really fun um i kept in touch for a long time with miss miss Liz, we don't remember her uh, who else um, uh, Miss McDonough reached out recently. Her nephew, I don't, he was trying to get over. I don't know if he's made it because of COVID. So occasionally people pop up, but you just, yeah, you just lose. I mean, I think it's easier now with all of this. Yeah, the know, technology. Cell phones and this, that, yeah. and the other thing. But at the time, it was like letter writing still or phone call. God bless my parents. I would call. <laughs> my mom would be really worried because there's so much money. You know, it was really, really funny. Um, yeah, and long I, distance we, plans, right? Yeah, really, there was, you know, my parents grew up in the Depression era. They were so like, what? And I was like, mom, it doesn't cost anything because I had this calling card that she didn't. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess I'm trying to think who we socialize with. So this, so who was Miss McLaughlin, Curcio, like the English department, we hung out. Mrs. Rice, we, we would do things together. And then people in the hallway, uh, Mr. Quimby, Paul McLaughlin, who else? Mrs. French folk, was she there, Mrs. French? That sounds familiar. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, I, Mr. Speakman, every now and then, I, he and his wife, I, we got we got along well with his wife. Mr. Stokes, Mr. Mr. Stokes. Yeah, Mr. Stokes, oh, yeah. Mr. Lolly, Mr. Stokes, what a lovely guy, his family. And, um, and then I don't know if Dave Doyle, Dr. Doyle was there when you were there. But he was a, nah, he, he passed away. I was, I was actually in the States and was able to go to his funeral and caught up with a bunch of teachers, which, which was surreal. It was mm. very strange to see them after all those years. When did you leave Wizzahickon? I, 2006, I think. 2006, yeah. So 2015, yeah, 2006. And uh, I just intended, I just intended to 
you know, teach for a few years and then come back and met my Kiwi husband. And that's, that was the end of that. So. <laughs> so you left to just to go to New Zealand specifically? Well, I, my criteria, this is so funny. My criteria was that I wanted to learn how to surf and I wanted to live near the ocean. You know, that's great criteria. Um, and I've been through, yeah, wait, I've been wait. through. Wait, yeah, so you, you've, been, you've been teaching since 93. And then, yeah. you, and then you decide, you know what I, I want to do right yeah. now, rather than like yeah. continue teaching for the foreseeable future. I'd love to just take a, a break, spend yeah. all this, this, this <laughs> milk money from, from, you know, being sidelines of the football games and the rest yeah, of the yeah. matches. And I want to go to, I want to find a place to go live yeah. and learn how to surf, live by the water. And then I will yeah. come back to Wizahicken in like four yeah. years once it's out of my system. Yeah, well, it, of course, everything is driven as usual. Most things, most it, you know, insane life decisions are driven by a bad breakup. So that's you know, incredible. I've been, I've been yeah, I've been dating with someone for five years. Thought we were getting married, and then that wasn't happening. I'm like, what happened? And there were not, you know, there were some other. It, it wasn't quite that simple. But there were some other things. So that was my criteria. Now I lived in Hawaii for a bit, so I was I was intended to apply for schools, two schools in Hawaii. My sister had moved from New York to LA. She lived in New York for years and went to LA, and I was going to apply in LA. And then I've been in New Zealand and I thought, oh, New Zealand, you know, and, be, and because of the cycle of the school year, which starts in January, so we're opposite seasons from uh. you. So I applied there first. Never thought I'd get a job. I had a friend who was living, he, he had come right out of uni and fell in love and stayed. And, and anyway, yeah, so I got this job and I, I was living in the ocean and still am, but I guess for the surfing, it really doesn't. <laughs> But you know, as as you've learned probably in your life, that it's never it's about something else. And I remember, you know, I landed in a small town. I mean, I really was living in the roughest part of town. I there was a glitch with my teacher registration in New Zealand. I wasn't getting paid for two months. I was living off my savings, and I just remember lying in the bed in this granny flat that I it was on the property of the people next door to me, and I was sort of living in someone else's skin. You know, granny things she passed away, and things were still there. <laughs> So I remember lying in the bed saying, okay, God, what is this about? Like, I thought the journey was the courage to get here, and what is this about? And I just had to let it all go. And I went to the principal then and said, look, you know, I'm, I'm living off my savings. I can't keep doing this. I didn't have internet. I didn't have a phone. I was really wow. cut off. And he took out a checkbook and said, what do you need? I'll write you a check. I'm like, what? Like, you know, so I wrote me a check from his, I mean, I had to pay it back, but he wrote me a check from this fund that he had to get by. And then he put out the word quietly and people showed up with food for me. Someone came and said, you can take my car for the weekend. It was so humbling Wow! because here I, here I am and I land in this town and, and there were people that had never been out of this town. And I'm thinking what, but, and I realized, you know what? It wasn't right or wrong. This is just, this is where they live. This is what they did. And they, you know, they just, they took me in, they gave me everything. He, then he invited me in to work through the process of getting registration. And what I realized was that I was really approaching it as an American, from an American point of view, like we got to get this figured out. Whereas in New Zealand, it's more like, Hey, how you doing? How's the family? What's going on? You kind of do the relationship first. You, you make sure the space is sacred. In fact, when, when I was meeting with you, I was debating, like, should I do this midi that we clear the space first, you know, that that's the co-op here. You just do that to make way for things that are going to happen. And then at the end, you, you end it the same that whatever we shared here or done here, you know, it's, it's here. Anyway. So he, and then he said, Hey, you know, so I, I watched that process. And in the end, um, you know, he, he was, 
able to get it sorted. But the other thing, Brad, that I realized was that, and, and this was so humbling to me, I thought, I am a white woman who's educated in America, and that put me ahead of a lot of people in the world, and I never thought about that. Like, if I had, it, you know, if I had to, I could have gone back and moved in with my sister in L.A. and found some work or gone, you know, I, I could do it. And I thought, these people in this town are doing the best they can with what they have where they are, and this is it. You know, that they... I mean, I, and I'm not being yourself. It sounds like I am, but they there was a hitching post outside the bar. Kids would ride to school on bareback, jump on a horse, ride in from up the coast, wow. come into the school. And, I mean, it was just like stepping back in time. And they, you know, I I also thought this isn't about me. I they have everything they need here. They have faith, family, friends, and food. They don't need me. You know, they I am lucky to be here. So what is this about? And it was about. You know, looking at it, I was down a really dangerous trajectory. You talked about clothes. Like, I was down that, and you got to get a house and a bigger house, and you got to wear the right clothes and have the right car. And that's what I thought mattered. And I, as much as I hate to admit it, that it was a blessing that this relationship, you know, didn't go the way it did. And it's really helped me be confront that and, and where can I serve more and how can I be mindful of other people. And, I, you know, I still don't get it right. I'm still often selfish and greedy, but it, it really saved my life. And and the other confronting, the other part of what drove me is that, you know, I really had struggled with my mental health. I was really um, on some level, and I confronted it in recent years, so I could talk about it now. But part of the reason I ended up in New Zealand so far away was because I really, I really was not trying to live. I was just waiting. I was, I had a plan. I just thought I'm just going to die. And this is what, you know, I have an exit plan and I want to carry it out because I don't want to be a burden to anyone. No one's really going to care if I die. No one's going to, you know, so if I do it as far away as possible. Um, and I didn't come to that realization right away. I had to go through many years of some really serious confronting depression and, and, um, and, and ironically, you know, I work with kids. I was working with kids who were in that situation and I, I knew all the signs and I knew the questions to ask, but I couldn't see it in myself. And it wasn't until a colleague said to me, you know, sounds like you're depressed. Do you have a plan? And I said, yeah, I do. Like who doesn't? You know, and so she said, okay, I'm going to stay with you. We're going to get your doctor. Cause I didn't, you know, I also didn't know how to do it in New Zealand. And I'm really grateful for her that she did that. And, and I, you know, at first I went on meds just to even things that I hated what it did to me. I stopped taking the meds, things about, well, you know, I thought I was a doctor. I don't need to take them. And then I really thought, okay, I've got to confront some things. And, and I also just have to accept that maybe part of who I am and I have to, I have to find ways to deal with it. I have to look after that, you know? And, and so, you know, I have to think, I mean, some days I just wake up and think, okay, I can't, like I have a thing called a shit list. So simple, hard, impossibly possible, too much to ask. So simple is just get out of bed, you know, yeah. shower. And hard is go outside and interact with someone. And so I really had to work that. Um, and I, I will also say that, you know, God's grace in my life, that time when I taught on the cooks was, I really had to go back to basics. I had to learn how to take care of myself again. I had to eat well. I had to learn about you know, faith, family, friends, and food again, and that's what matters, and not all these other things, and that it also helped to be a perpetual summer. I find winter really, really hard, but it, it's it's also made me mindful of the stigma of mental health, that people, you know, I didn't want to be depressed. I didn't want to have that. I thought that was yeah. a bad thing, and, and I didn't want to be labeled as you know, we talk about that other stigmas, but I think I, I think there is a stigma against you know, you know that, and I think I was more in tune with that. That's what kind of drove me to work with those at-risk kids that people would say, "Oh, he's a man, he's crazy." You know, you just don't want to. Be yeah, that. 
crazy person. So I'm sorry if that was really confronting, but no. it's, it's, um, it's just, it's part of that, you know, what my time here has been. And I, and I, I miss, you know, I, I, I miss, you know, I miss, I miss my family incredibly. I miss this life in the States, the culture there. And, and I, I, but I don't know that I could have gotten to this point without stepping outside and just saying, wait a minute, you know, because I mean, New Zealand is moving towards that sort of it being marketed to all the time now and, and the haves and haves nots, but it's mm-hmm. a little bit more egalitarian culture than America. Although yeah. in Wellington, it's really because it's a capital, it's very hierarchical. And who do you know? And where do you live? Do you live in the right neighborhood? And um, so I, I, you have to keep that balanced, you know, at all times. That's really, uh, that's really interesting that that was the journey that found you, I guess, when that wasn't necessarily, you know, you didn't really know exactly what you were, you know, going for long-term and it ends up playing out that way that, you know, one, one dealing with, with, with mental health, but then two, um, getting married and staying for the long-term. Yeah, because I didn't think that through. Like, I just thought, oh, I'm just getting married. And then it was like, oh, wait a minute, you know. I mean, you know, you, you're excited about, the, yeah, you're excited about, yeah, your love, you're excited about getting married. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm here. And, and so, yeah, to be fair, I mean, he has, they're grown now, he has girls. And and, um, and I was okay with that. And I think it was, I think for me, it was when my, you know, aging parents and when they got older. And I do remember my dad getting quite sick and, um, and I went and I, and my husband and I did, we talked about going back to, to look after them, take care of the family home. And my dad was like, absolutely not. Like he wanted nothing to do with it, no part of it. And mm. um, I had to respect that. I mean, he felt, he really felt like it was his job to look after my mom. She had Alzheimer's and he really, he really felt, I mean, I think looking back, she probably had it in her seventies. Mm. You know, um, so, uh, I, you're right, Brad. It's funny. It's funny when I sit here now and think. Uh, but again, I mean, can you? I, I mean, where else would you want to be during COVID? It's just fascinating. You know, it's just it, it's been extremely stressful watching it unfold in America, and and also watching you know crazy yeah certain politicians that were you know well yeah like when you talk happened. about I mean what happened. Just so funny because I was I was in the coats when it happened, and they you know and I thought there's no way he's gonna get it. I, and and my students said Miss we can't go to America now we'll get put in jail like that was their perspective on this little island that he wow. any immigrants they were yeah that, and I'm like what no no we're not like that we're not like that wow hey I just realized I've got to get on with my day I'm so sorry All right. here's but, the last. I, yeah. Here's, here's the last thing. Yeah, I was going to say, I, what else, what, what did you want to ask that you didn't ask? <laughs> no, I think I asked, I think I asked all the things, but the last thing that I do like to do uh, before we end this is I'd like to pull out the yearbook and I'd like to <sighs> take a little peek. Get out. Oh my gosh, that is so hysterical. <laughs> oh, there's Miss Becky McBride and there's yeah. Scott and Miss McLaughlin and Miss McDonough right next to her. Oh my gosh. What is that? <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, that's horrifying, but fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. So this has been so much fun. Are you still Miss McCracken? Is that what you, is that what you still go by? I kept, you know, I kept my maiden name because um, we, we, I, you know, I, I mean, I, it was his second marriage and I said, let's just go get married, you know, on an island. I was, you know, I, 
found you if you had switched it i wouldn't have ever found you i know funny so i do i mean in retrospect I, you know i like I, I like it for that uh, reason anyway god bless you and your family and your mom and and, and thank Kara, you keep going Kia Kaha, stay strong and keep going and um, you're doing great work so thank, thank you. you i'm so humbled much. to be i am humbled to be part of it i really am no, like I said, uh, we all, a few of us had some really great words and, and memories of you. So, um, you know, well, important, important that, you know, that, you know, that you made you. an impact on our lives and, uh, you know, 20 years later, uh, as scary as that number is. So yeah, thank you, thank you, not just for that, but then, you know, willing to come back and relive some of this with me. Yeah, no, thank you. And, and I, I should acknowledge that it is that the, one of the things about teaching is you, you don't really know, like you don't, I mean, you know, you're going to be fine, but you don't know. And sometimes that's hard to keep going. Like, did that make a difference? Does it matter? So thank you for passing that on because uh, I mean, I felt like I took more than I gave. I just learned so much from people who came across my life and teaching. So it's nice. It's nice to hear that they, I mean, I appreciate that you're passing on to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. As we say. Thank you. We will. Next time we'll have a, next time we'll have a little tornado morning lesson. I'll teach you some. <laughs> awesome. I'm in. We'll do it again. Definitely. I definitely want to reconnect with you again. Okay. All right. That was Miss McCracken. It was so bizarre to just have this super mature conversation with your former English teacher over the course of four hours. We talked about a lot of things that I never expected to learn. Had no idea Miss McCracken was actually from our area, went to Wissahickon. The story she tells about Ray and going to Alaska and just the idea of having this shared trauma with other people. Really one of the more surprising parts of our talk. And of course, Miss McCracken talking about Mr. Milio, uh, a topic that quite a few students have talked to me about. It doesn't usually make the podcast. I struggled with whether or not to include this in the actual show, and I decided to because it was Miss McCracken's own experience and more than just hearsay, how she wanted to respond, um, being encouraged not to, and just the atmosphere that she felt was fostered um, starting at the top from Mr. Anderson, our principal. It was something I didn't really feel comfortable omitting from her story and this conversation, I thought it was just really important that she be heard in full. So it stayed. I do again want to thank Ms. McCracken for sharing so much of herself with me and of course classmates, but people that she doesn't know that are going to listen to this. Don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at We Weren't Friends in High School. And of course, subscribe at youtube.com slash redshirtplayer podcast will be back in two weeks on a Monday morning with another guest. Until then,
Hope you have a happy and healthy Thanksgiving. Later.